new drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. The afternoon drive with Goodman and Fry. Eric Goodman is on his honeymoon, and congratulations to newlyweds Mandy and Eric. Airlines willing, Eric will be back tomorrow. I'm gonna say congratulations to Eric at least. Yeah, not sure about Mandy, <laughs> well, but to Eric for sure. I'm journalist and author Terry Fry, and sitting in with me today is Doug Audible, longtime editor in chief of Mile High Sports Magazine, and. Doug, I want to thank you for making the 10-foot walk across the office <laughs> to do this. Hey, my pleasure. I, For as long as I've known you, and this is no joke, since what? Maybe I was three? <laughs> I don't know. Well, that I was six. <laughs> we, we were playing in the neighborhood. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we've ever done a radio show together. I think I've been on shows where yes. you're the call-in guest or whatever, but like just this is, this is new. This is a, this is pioneering i'm looking forward to it and we will play wiffle ball during the breaks absolutely it's one of our uh, bonds of past years americans if you have not played wiffle ball you've missed something right and there are two kinds of to say you're not american well and there are two kinds there are two kinds of wiffle balls the ones with holes and the ones without holes and it's it's a a pivotal decision in life to which one you prefer (laughs) yeah you prefer the ones without holes yeah and my arm probably wishes that i would have picked the ones with holes Doug is the son of a uh, longtime Colorado Wiffleball Federation director, Bob Audible, mm-hmm. who never got a decision wrong in a tournament. Amazing run. Commissioner. <laughs> and, and in all seriousness, Bob was an executive for the Colorado High School Activities Association. And so Doug's roots really are deep here without getting too maudlin about it. You've been around Colorado sports at the high school level and all, all levels. And so I, I'm pleased and excited to have you here so we can just bat some things around. Yeah, I think uh, just, well, I mean, you've probably known my dad longer than I have. (laughs) (laughs) But it is is kind of fun to, you know, come into this business because I remember when I was a little kid and all you guys were actually doing the job that we're doing now. Could you like like step back from that a little bit? When I was a kid. Yeah. When I was uh, aspiring to be someone, okay, there, <laughs> yeah, guys like you and Mike Monroe and and Kong and Michael Nisley, yeah, I mean, these are guys that I could remember being like, "Hey, I see that guy's name in the paper. I know that guy." We were joking about it the other day. I don't know if you saw the first championship USFL game, mm-hmm. first USFL championship game in the second incarnation was on television the other night, and I I posted my press pass from the first. USFL championship game in 1983. Pretty cool. Were you born yet? Yeah, I was 10. Oh, okay. Yep. So we covered that, and uh, they they were, uh, Michigan played Philadelphia, and I think Michigan won 24 to 22. It was Chuck Fusino as one quarterback, and Bobby Abair was the other. And I was standing on the sideline as the game ended, you know, in that south south end zone. Yeah. Mile High Stadium, the championship game was in Denver, the neutral site. And they used tear gas on the fans to save the goalposts from the from the uh, wild Philadelphia, and I i don't even remember who won the game, Philadelphia, uh, the Philadelphia fans, it, and Michigan fans. Weren't they, were they the... Pa- Panthers? Yeah, M- Michigan was the Panthers for sure. 
Who was the was Philly, was Philly, Philly still General? The stars? No, Stars. Because right. they're the yeah. Stars now, and I think yeah, they yeah. reused a lot of the old. Who's names. the Generals? Or was there a General? New Jersey. New Jersey Generals. Yeah. Yeah, that was Donald Trump's team. I up there. I, I mean, my my recollection was that the USFL at that time was huge. I mean, it was a big thing. At least in my mind, as a as a ten year old, I thought, man, this is. We get new helmets, we get new uniforms, you got football in the summer, like this is a big deal. Well, this is gonna happen a lot. We're gonna get a we're gonna go off track because we'll we'll be reminded <laughs> of wonderful things like this. Uh that going back to the, the good old days in Denver and yes. we'll also talk about current things though, including <laughs> including today Baker Mayfield was traded. And he uh for a fifth round draft choice, he could he could go up to a fourth. I thought he was going to go to Seattle, but he didn't. He went to Carolina. Yeah, they. Uh, we were talking about it before the show started. Apparently, Seattle's you know okay with rolling with what they have in Geno Smith and Drew Locke, but seemed like that was a team that would have been really a good fit for him. I mean, for all the stuff that I've seen on this trade, everybody like to a T, every email, every tweet, every whatever says the only thing or only person that loses in this deal is the Browns, which I, I don't know. I, I, I guess when, when they signed Deshaun Watson, I thought, man, this is a steal. They know something that we don't. They've got Intel that, that says this guy's going to be fine. There's, he's not, he's going to get cleared of everything. And now that it's kind of unfolding and it looks like he could be in trouble they get rid of a guy who, in my mind, was pretty good quarterback. Yeah. I, I don't understand what the Browns are doing. I don't either. We'll Dude. go into it a little more after this. Uh, now time for the lead. The lead, presented by Sasquatch Casino in Blackhawk. The Browns traded Baker Mayfield to the Panthers for a fifth-round choice that's reportedly been been solidified and will be will come off officially. It's the quintessential Honey Youngman joke. Remember the Honey Youngman joke of take my wife, take please? My wife, please. <laughs> and it's it's the Browns getting rid of Mayfield and uh, moving on from there. It, the conditional fifth can become a fourth if he plays a lot. Uh, Deshaun Watson, he's going to be suspended for the year, I think. I mean, it's I sounding he, like that. How do you not know that? How do you not speculate that that's a possibility, especially at that kind of financial commitment. So if Watson is suspended and he can't play for the Browns this year, the starter is the infamous, the famous Jacoby Brissett. That's a trivia question. Yeah, I mean, Jacoby Brissett's... Can he hold it down for a year? No. I mean, You don't think a, so? I mean, it depends, depends on your definition of hold it down. Yeah. You know, will the, will the franchise move cities? Nah, he could probably keep it there. But they're going to be right back where they started with needing a quarterback if uh, the Deshaun Watson thing just blows me away because how could you not know how do you not know and, and I would even take it a, a step further and if you're Roger Goodell you have to know that no matter what happens in court there's probably going to be some kind of disciplinary action coming down the pike how do you not tell a team that makes that kind of commitment to him hey let's not do this just right now or, or is that your job as a commissioner? How, how do you not? How can you not share what you do and don't know about a, a a player with such a pending decision? I mean, 
doesn't the league have some responsibility to tell him like, look, yeah, let's let's not make this kind of commitment to a guy? No, like I this. think it's almost as if they're stepping aside and say, if you're that stupid, go ahead and do it. Yeah, I mean that that's how it looks. But if I'm the league or if I'm the Browns, I'm asking the league, I'm asking lawyers, I'm asking, you know, local police department. I'm I'm doing so much. I mean, the amount of money that they committed to him is so significant that I don't think you can leave a stone unturned. And no. if you're willing to do that and you find out you do your due diligence and you find out this is a a safe investment, hey, good for you. You you took a risk somebody else wouldn't. But what's it going to be like in 3 years? That's the other question. That's true too. I mean, he's still pretty young. Well, Sam Darnold was a 2021 starter at Carolina. Now he's competing with Mayfield. Who do you like in that race? It's got to be Mayfield. I like Mayfield. I mean, Mayfield has had some... I I would not go as far as to say moments of greatness, but moments of looking... (laughs) Mediocrity? Well, he's, he's looked like he can play the part, and it's always hard to judge a player in Cleveland, in my opinion. They just... They are never in a position to be, you know, if he was, if he was playing uh, for the Rams and he was inconsistent, then you could maybe make the argument, okay, this is just who he is. But since he's in Cleveland, I think you kind of got to say, all right, what if he's surrounded by a good situation? Yeah. And and Carolina is not exactly the cure for, you know, all that ails a quarterback, but they're a little more stable than than Cleveland. Yeah. Oh, here's the other question. Why not Seattle? I thought he was going to go there. They have Geno Smith and Drew Locke, or Drew Locke and Geno Smith, however, whatever yeah. order you want to put it in. And that's where I that's where I thought Baker Mayfield was a natural to go, and I'm surprised that it didn't work out that way. Well, I think you also have to look back and say the Seahawks are an organization that chose Pete Carroll over Russell Wilson. Yes, they did. Shows you all that they do or don't know right there. I mean... And who knows? There, there may be a whole lot of story behind why they decided it was time to, to part ways with Russell Wilson. But one thing that we, especially in Denver, know is that if you don't have a quarterback in the NFL, you don't have much of anything. Well, the ownership situation in Seattle, too, is after Paul Allen's death, it's the Paul Allen Trust running the team. So there's a, Sounds little, familiar. There's a little bit of confusion about who makes the decisions. And, and uh, Paul Allen's sisters is the one in charge officially. And if you were, if you were, and this is not a knock on her or, or anyone in charge of running any NFL trust like Joe Ellis. Yes. If you're, if you're in put in that position to, to make major decisions for a franchise. And as we know that are worth billions of dollars, you, you probably lean toward an authority figure like a Pete Carroll. Mm-hmm. You probably say, well, this this guy really knows what's going on as much or more than anybody in the building. He's had a good track record in some yeah, cases. He's been a good coach. There's no doubt about it. But I think it takes someone who who's studied football a long time to say, yeah, you need a quarterback. You you can trot out any coach. Not, and I'm not saying you can trot out any coach. But if you've got a quarterback, you have a fighting chance in any given season, no matter who your coach is. If you <laughs> don't have a quarterback you could bring in Vince Lombardi and not have a chance. I'd like to see if this works out as a statement in faith in Drew Locke and he actually gets to play, whether ahead of Geno Smith or after Geno Smith starts and doesn't do well. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we talk about Cleveland being a place for quarterbacks to showcase their inconsistency. I mean, here in in, in a chair in Denver, that's kind of like the pot calling the kettle black. I mean, I don't know that we've done any of the favors to quarterbacks in the last five seasons between coaches who were terrible, systems that were awful, coordinators that couldn't... I, I mean how could you really evaluate any quarterback here? And so Drew Locke falls into that category. I would, I'm hesitant to say Paxton Lynch falls into that category, but at some point Paxton Lynch had some talent. What if he started out in the right, what if he started out in the right place? Oh, Locke goofy. Love video games more than practice. (laughs) But what if he was put in the right system or what if he legitimately sat behind someone who knew what they were doing for a year instead of kind of being in this, you know, half a role behind Mark Sanchez. Well, what I think is going to happen is Baker Mayfield's going to move into the move from the Cleveland Stadium to the Carolina Stadium for the commercials. Well, I can't wait for that. And do pretty well. I think he's going to do pretty well, and I think the pick will be upgraded to the fourth to a fourth rounder. So, and Drew Locke will live happily ever after in. No, I guess. Not. Do we do we Never know the status of of Christian McCaffrey? No. Healthy? See, I, I mean. If if he's healthy, which is starting to become a Baker Mayfield can take full advantage of him. Yeah, I mean they seem like they're kind of guys that fit together. I mean Baker Mayfield was pretty good when he had when he had both running backs in Cleveland. I mean they were they were good when when um, they were healthy in the backfield. Okay, we've got Baker Mayfield of Carolina. We don't know uh, where the Colorado Rock Colorado Buffaloes have settled in the last three or four hours and if they've settled <laughs> in a new league and uh, that'll be coming up after the break we'll talk some more about the CU Buffaloes and their future Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back to Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry. Eric Goodman is still on his honeymoon, and uh, congratulations to Mandy and Eric. Eric will be back here in the driver's seat tomorrow. I'm journalist and author Terry Fry, and sitting in with me today is Doug Audible, the longtime editor-in-chief of Mile High Sports magazine. You can watch us on milehighsports.com and reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at T-Fry, T-F-R-E-I, and at D-Audible. D as in dog, O-T-T-E-W-I-L-L. Did I get that right? Mm Mm-hmm. Not many people do, but you did. We have breaking news. Okay, that was that was unfair. You know, they're wondering where she's going to land, uh, whether Jamal Murray's going to be playing in the summer league. Uh, mm, actually, what so we have here, what we have here, is the new nickname for Ralphie Sixth, Ralphie the Sixth up at CU. They've a vote came through. The results were the results were resounding, and Ralphie the Sixth is now named Ember. 
Hmm. So it was Ember Blitz. Hey, you're you're a buff. I know. I just hate the name. I think they. What did you want it to be? I don't know. I didn't vote, so it's probably my fault. Yeah, I didn't vote either. I didn't vote, so I can't. I can't really. What was Be mad about it. This is a dumb, terrible question for me now. What was the last one's name? Ralphie. No. I just thought they were all named Ralphie. I didn't know they, they had other names as well. They're all named Ralphie. I would like Blitz. Ralphie the sixth. I saw Blitz was a part of the of the voting for this one, which I think is a good name for a mascot. Sixer. Yeah, yeah. Blitz definitely, especially Sixer for six. Yeah. And Amber one. So we're gonna be Amber's still pretty small for a Ralphie. Yeah, well, it's has what, some growing up to do. It's uh, like a first year heifer, I think. So that's the news. Ember, uh, Ember will herald the buffs into a new conference at some point. It looks like you'll have a piece popping up on some prominent website about that here pretty quick. I bet. So time now for the buzz. The buzz is presented by mighty plumbing and heating. Why does mighty plumbing and heating have over 600 five-star reviews? No one has better service. And they will meet or beat any written offer. Go to MightyPH.com. Well, we're still going through the discussions and the maneuvering and the posturing and the gamesmanship and a lot else about the uh, expansion of the Big Ten taking UCLA and USC. So what was your reaction to all of that, Doug? Uh, well, my, my overall 10,000-foot view reaction to all of this is that college football is the biggest mess it could possibly be. And, and what I really want to see happen, because you know, earlier in the show we were talking about the good old days of sports back when it was it was fun to have regional rivalries and you only really knew the teams in your conference and playing in a bowl game. You can make fun of Nebraska. Yeah. That was fun. But it's never going to go back to that. It's those days are gone because there's no everything has been nationalized. There's no, you know, regional television is kind of a, a thing of the past, especially for big time programs like there are in the SEC and Big Ten. So wishing for that is is dead. I think the next best thing is that you you hope for something that is as well organized and compelling as the NFL, because I like college football, the game itself. The organization of it is just awful. I think the NIL has really changed the rules of the game. And Definitely. I, and you can sit here, and I can argue it both ways in the sense that it was overdue, that the money isn't coming from, isn't coming from the programs and the universities themselves. It's ancillary income, which has been stunning in its magnitude, though. Some of the Huge. figures you're seeing now. I mean, I don't think anybody predicted that. Well, I wonder, and this is, I wonder if over time what we'll see is that the donations to schools have gone way down and now they're just going straight to players. Well, there may, I think there may be a market correction too. Oh, for sure. It's not going to, this, this is an extreme reaction to payers need played, players need paid. It'll swing back. And, you know, thinking about the, the, we want something or something like the NFL would be the most compelling, at least in my opinion. I don't understand why every sports league doesn't see what the NFL has done, which is the NFL is the strongest in terms of parity because every market every year 
feels like they have a chance, whether that chance is to win a Super Bowl or to get significantly better to be in the Super Bowl conversation the next year. Every market feels that way. There, there, there aren't many teams in the NFL who feel that they're more than three years out of it. Everybody feels yeah. like with the draft, the way that it's set up, with free agency, the way that it's set up, the salary cap, the way it's set up, everybody has an equal shot. In and my it, mind, the big myth, though, is that the idea that that some some really good, traditional, deep-pocketed, successful programs are going to go four and five in conference, and their coaches are going to get fired. The mm-hmm. alumni are going to be restless. Mm-hmm. Not everybody can win. That That seems to be the proposition that so many are overlooking and forgetting in this process is you can move into a star-studded league, a super league, but then you'll be a door, not a doormat, but you'll at least be mediocre. Yeah. And that's, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at a school like CU, they're not even all that competitive in the conference that they're in. So I don't know why people think necessarily that they can just bump their way into a different conference this isn't the CU of 1995 where every conference in the country would want them. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a lot of reasons to not want CU too. As much as I pull for the buffs and love the buffs and so on and so forth, that you can't make the argument that they're one of the country's top programs anymore. Well, as the dust settles here, it becomes very clear that in my mind, and you can correct me if I'm wrong listeners or Doug yourself, Larry Scott screwed this up when they didn't pounce on, the disintegrating Big 12 a year or two years ago. The Big 12 went out after Texas and Oklahoma departed, went out and got four replacement schools to get back to, quote, full strength, unquote. And now they're in a position to poach from the uh, remnants of the Pac-10, Pac-12, Pac yeah. whatever it will be. And uh, so that, to me, is the kind of the paramount mistake, that the pivotal point when Larry Scott in the, in the Pac-12 made that decision not to try to poach anybody from the Big 12. Well, and they made they made a that's a a key problem or decision that was made, but the other one that I think is hurt hurt that conference as much as anything is and people go back to why all these teams started moving around and it always has to do with TV. That's why Texas was such a powerful school for so long in the early 2000s because they had their own TV deal. Yeah. And therefore they had a ton of money. And when these conferences started to form based on, you know, teams breaking traditional rivalries and, and regions and things like that, it was all because there were TV markets that were desirable, which is why CU w- was invited to be, to be in the PAC 12. But when, when the PAC 12 never secured a good TV deal, it killed that conference, just killed it. Yeah, the Pac-12 network was not was not nearly as successful as it as they had hoped it would. Be. I still can't watch. I mean, people talk about the Nuggets and the Avs and altitude. <laughs> I still can't watch a Buffs game unless it's nationally televised. Yeah, because I don't get the Pac-12 network. Well, even in this case, it was Fox that brought UCLA and USC to the negotiation table with the Big Ten because Fox owns sixty percent of the Big Twelve network, and. I, I've read different re- references to this, but I, I don't think UCLA and USC were, were as aggressive in seeking to go to the Big Ten as so, it's somehow been portrayed because Fox was Fox was the heavy hitter in all of this. Fox got, the, got it moving and has created this bizarre situation where uh, you have to, the people I'm going to feel sorry for, the 
UCLA softball players having to go back to play Rutgers. Right. I mean, that just looks ridiculous. Well, and the, the, the further we get from all of this, the, the more obvious it's become that education is the last thing on anyone's mind. Well, you can do it. You know, I teach college, and I know you can do it remotely, and that's going to be the, the main state True. of college athletics from now on. You're never going to see a player in class anymore. Right. And go, wow, what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, whether well, it's— we, We've always said that. Whether it's MSU Denver <laughs> in, in Division II RMAC or anything else. So we, we've batted this around, and when we come back, I want to—let's let, talk about the direct, specific future of the University of Colorado, where we think they will end up and what their alternatives are. That's going to be uh, next on the Afternoon Drive. Make a move extreme. Shortcut to your dream. A blow straight through the stars on the flying thing. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry. Presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. Welcome back to Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry. Eric Goodman will be back tomorrow from his honeymoon break. And I'm journalist and author Terry Fry. And sitting in with me today is Doug Audible, longtime editor-in-chief of Mile High Sports Magazine. You can watch us on milehighsports.com and reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at tfry and at daudible. You can check out www.terryfry.com for information about my books and work, and you can read more about Doug and the magazine at www.milehighsports/magazine. Or is there an easier way to do that? You can just go to the website, and then on the hamburger in the upper left, click on uh, current issue. On the what? little hamburger symbol. Oh, okay. little three lines. Yeah. Bun, meat, bun. I didn't know that. I didn't know you could call it that. <laughs> hey, you I call had it to... that, Danny? You call it a hamburger? Uh, it makes a lot of sense. I knew what you were talking about. <laughs> you do? Okay. But I, I had was, not heard it I referred to that before. I wasn't sure if I was just making that up. I had the pleasure of writing for the 200th issue of Mile High Sports Magazine and interviewing yeah. Joe Sackick. I've done a lot of work for you over the years and very much enjoyed it. But how did Mile High Sports Magazine come about? Oh, man. We don't have a couple hours left in the show, but I'll give you the condensed okay. version. So uh, James Merrill and I grew up next door, and he was, he was, uh, he was the he right— He was the other three-year-old. He, he was right field in, in the uh, second wiffle ball complex. Uh, he and I started a magazine called Gridiron in 1997, which was an all-NFL magazine. Mm-hmm. And we took a lot of lumps, learned a lot about what not to do. Um, so that, that only lasts for like a year. And then we started up mile high sports, uh, in 2000, we were going to start in 2001. We we're going to launch in 2001 and then nine 11 happened. Oh yeah. So everybody said, if you, if you don't want to just lose more money, just don't do anything <laughs> right now. So, uh, we came out with the first issue in, in 2002 and probably still didn't know a whole lot about what we were doing, but kind of got lucky, worked with some great people had a lot of people that, that were here locally as opposed to the first magazine mm-hmm. that could give us really good advice on, hey, you need to do this. These are people you need to talk to for advertising. 
our our first model didn't even consider the fact that we needed ad revenue. So we, we had a lot of wrong assumptions. <laughs> no, wait a minute. Was this like public TV or what? You're just gonna like give it away free I, and I can fit. no ads. Well, we had the idea that if you sold X number of units on the newsstand, that you would break even or better, depending on how yeah. you sold. We didn't really understand that the magazine distribution system is basically as old world as it gets. Probably mafia run. Yeah, it was. It was not a. It was not the way to make money. We we literally thought, well, if we only had to sell fifty percent at each at a buck twenty five a mag, like then we only have to sell X amount to make money. We thought it was that easy. It wasn't. Advertising, Benjamin. Advertising. I could I could remember calling Nike. Like just out of the blue. Hey, Beaverton, uh, in Oregon. Yeah. Can You're, we, we see this ad with Terrell Davis on it. Do you think we can have that? And we have it. What do you mean? Have it. <laughs> we just want to run it in the magazine. Cause it looks cool. We think we need some ads in there. We, do you want to sell it to us? No, no. We just want to run it. Cause we like Terrell Davis. That, that's literally a call we made. Well, you've been through a lot. It's a great product and it's a welcome Thank addition you. and, and a niche in the Denver sports market. Thank you. We, we, you know, we, we've been lucky enough to be around a, a lot of guys like yourself included to talk about that, that great Joe Sackick piece. There's so many good people in Denver that really, really know sports and can really, really write. I mean, I don't think that we would ever have made it this far if that, that wasn't the case in this market. I'm going to get us even farther off track. You mentioned Nike. My father was an assistant football coach at the University of Oregon when uh, several people were going around saying, Bill Bowerin was a track coach. Phil, yeah. Phil and I was indirectly involved with that group at the time. But they started, uh, they were going to, Jeff Hollister was involved. They were selling shoes out of, basically out of tr trunks. Yep. Tiger shoes imported. And they were looking for 3000 I think it was $3,000 or $5,000 investors. <laughs> and my father was probably making about that much as an assistant football coach at the time. So he said, no, I can't do that. You know, oh. I just... <laughs> and and uh, years later, I did a story. It was only the early '80s. It wasn't that recently. Right. The guys who had had the original investors in Nike were worth like a billion dollars. Yeah. Have you read Shoe Dog? Yeah. Uh, no, I haven't. It's it, a great book. The story of story of Nike. Probably one of my favorite books. It's just Phil Knight's just relentless pursuit yes. of becoming the king of all shoes is is pretty fascinating. Really, a lot of it is. I think a lot of it with any of those kind of businesses is, is a lot of times the, the, the less, you know, the better off you are in certain circumstances, you know, well, you just have to be fearless and passionate. And Phil Knight definitely was that. Yes, he was. Time now for what's trending. What's trending presented by Silterhar Mazda. Get to Silterhar in Broomfield for a no pressure buying experience at Silterhar Mazda or find them at sthmazda.com. Okay, what well, we know is that USC and UCLA are going to the Big Ten in 2024. The Big Ten can't count. That's one thing we know. <laughs> None of the leagues can count. No. So what, what's next for next? What's next for Colorado after that is is up in the air. And uh, you know, there's been a whole a lot of discussion over the last few days, where uh, the Pac-12 and Commissioner George Klyovkov made one significant announcement on Tuesday. I'm reading now from a Pat Rooney story on Buffzone. Releasing a statement expediting the negotiations for the league's long beleaguered media rights deal. The statement read simply The Pac 12 Board of Directors met Tuesday morning and authorized the conference to immediately begin negotiations 
for its next media rights agreements. Now, where did that lead to you? Well, Phil, Chancellor Phil DeStefano and Athletic Director Rick George said in another brief statement, CU Boulder supports the decision of the Pac-12 Board of Directors this morning to begin conference media rights negotiations. We are committed to the Pacific to the Pac-12 conference and look forward to being an active participant in those conversations. Well, it's all confusing because if they're participating in the in the uh, ongoing discussions to for media rights deals, it implies that you're going to be in the league. And it's very obvious they're being romanced by the Big 12 or, right. or they're checking into the Big 12. Whether To what degree the romancing is is kind of up in the air too. So how do you see, what are CU's options? I think it's very obvious it's staying in staying in a a surviving Pacific Ten or Pacific Twelve if they add a couple of teams or going to the Big Twelve. Long, 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 long shot. Uh, the Big Ten. Yeah, I think the reality is unlike when CU moved to the Pac-12, uh, what are the, uh, more than a decade ago now, 2012. They they had at least leverage in the in the aspect of 2011. They were a good program. They had a reputation. They weren't that far removed from being pretty darn competitive when it comes to college football. And they had a good market. I mean, when, when all these conferences are trying to land big TV deals, the fact that they could go out and secure the Denver market, that meant something. I, I think the problem that CU has now is they don't have any leverage. They're not good. I, I would, I would imagine that their ratings in, in Denver aren't, that great, even though Denver is a good market. Um, so I don't think that CU can control its own destiny to the extent that it could then. I think, to your point, their best bet is to try to, well, their only option may be to stay in in the Pac-12. And if that's the case, if we assume that's what happens, and I think that there's a lot of... Schools, what happens around them, too, though, will have a definite impact on what they had, what their options. True. Whether Washington or Oregon in my mind, are the most desirable elements for the, for the Big 12. Yeah. Well, and, and same with Stanford and Cal. I mean, those four schools up there are the ones that not only are they, you know, the most reputable, but they also represent some pretty darn good markets to other, mm-hmm. to other conferences. You look at, you know, Boulder, uh, Tucson, Scottsdale, uh, I just, I don't know that those are, or even Washington State, I just don't know that, that anybody's dying to have those markets these days. They're very, tra- they're not, they're the furthest, furthest thing from an SEC market that there is. They're transient fan bases. They're just not diehard. None of the programs have a, a tradition of winning, not like not like Stanford, Washington, Oregon. Well, I hope under the new commissioner, Klyovkov, uh, who is uh, experienced in, a lot of a lot of the new wave things in college athletics they will find a way to get a viable new television deal find a way to keep the conference together with UCLA and USC gone that'd be 10 teams and perhaps add two to in it and I know a lot of people laugh at this but I still think Colorado State and Air Force could be viable alternatives to be the 11th and 12th teams in the Pac-12 I agree and I think it there's there's reasons to think that those would be decent additions because for one, it creates a great rivalry in Colorado. We know that people here care about that. So maybe that helps Colorado's presence in terms of fan base and interest and all that 
that kind of thing. I, I also look at a school like SMU that is... Why, why do you care about you, SMU? Well, for one, I'm an alumni. Oh, okay. But for two, you know, you talk about finances mm -hmm. and, and resources and academic alignment. SMU is right in line with a lot of Pac-12 schools. Yeah. Um, they have the money to compete in any Private conference. Private school. Yeah, they really do. It's a, I won't say it's the equal of Stanford. I mean, am I insulting you? No, no, you're not. Oh, okay. <laughs> but it's but it's a good school. It's a good yeah. private school. And they've got a lot of donors and they've got great facilities. TCU is a private school. Yep. I'll TCU's already in the in the yeah. Big Twelve, but but SMU's sort of sort of one of, like why I don't understand why they weren't selected over TCU. Well, probably because TCU was much better at the time. TCU had money too. Yeah, but but you know, you want that Dallas market, I would think that would be huge for a conference like the Pac-12. Well, I have two dogs in the hunt. You know, one is that I grew up in Eugene, where my dad was on the staff at Oregon for 17 years. So I still have that in me. Plus, I, when we moved to Denver and I became a Wheat Ridge farmer, I ended up at the University of Colorado and got my degrees from there. So I have a, both of those in the hunt. And I really would like to see the sentiment in me, sentimentalist in me, is that both stay in the Pac-10 slash 12. And the other thing is, the real weird thing is this is not new in the Pacific Northwest or the Pacific. It used to be the Pacific Coast Conference that fell apart. It was AAW that fell apart. Yep. Uh, there was a time. So the, the that league falling apart is not something new. And uh, maybe some lessons can be learned from that. I don't know. Yeah, and I, I think if you're CU, the last thing you want to be is is holding the bag being in a conference that's been completely depleted or being in a conference that's trying to, you know, you talk about adding CSU and Air Force, you know, here in Colorado, we think, hey, that, that'd be all right. Nationally, would anybody think that's a big coup? I don't know. And, and that's what I think you, you want to be proactive if you're CU in either deciding your own fate, if you can somehow or another take a step forward, which I don't know that they can, or deciding the fate of the conference, which would be being extremely proactive and adding another good school or well, two or four or whatever. Well, a couple of things about CU in the Big 12, uh, you know, they would be returning to the Big 12, obviously, but they didn't burn all the bridges when they left. The, the membership has turned over. Yeah. There were different people involved in 2011 and 2012. And uh, I don't see any problem there. They could go back to the Big 12 without really having to eat too much crow. And I still think the, the move to the, the Pac-12 was right. It, the the Pac-12 was a better cultural fit for CU and a better athletic fit for CU. Yeah, and I, I would think if there were bridges burned, they would, have, they would have gone with Mike Bone as opposed to the school in general. Yeah, Mike Bone's role is something we can talk about for like 15 minutes, but we won't do that today. <laughs> So, now, Danny, what do we have coming up on Mountain High Appliance, just in case you missed it? Well, NHL and NBA postseasons championships just wrapped up, but we've already got NBA Summer League. The NHL released their schedule today. We'll talk a little bit about both of those on the other side right here on Afternoon Drive with Fry and Ottawa on Mile High Sports. Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry, presented by Silterhar Mazda. 
a no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silterhar Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Terry. This is Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Fry. Eric Goodman will be back tomorrow, and I'm journalist and author Terry Fry. Sitting in with me today is Doug Odwell, longtime editor-in-chief of Mile High Sports Magazine, former Wiffle Ball superstar, didn't go to his head. You can watch us on milehighsports.com and reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at tfry and at daudible. Now time for the final word. The final word. Is presented by the McKenzie Law Firm. Don't wait before it's too late. Protect your family by setting up a will, living will, or estate plan with Dan McKenzie at themckenziefirm.com. Just in case you missed it. Presented by Mountain High Appliance, Colorado's favorite appliance store for 25 years in Louisville, Colorado Springs, and now open in their new store in Littleton. Go to mountainhighappliance.com. Just in case you missed it, the NHL released their schedule for the 2022-23 season today. And uh, San Jose and Nashville starting off the NHL season in October with a pair of games in Prague in the Czech Republic. And then in November... Colorado will be playing Columbus in Finland. There's uh, some other international games going on as well, but have either of you ever been to Prague or to Finland? Neither of the above. I've mm-hmm. been a lot of places, primarily uh, on vacation and also covering Olympic Games, but I have not been to Prague. I've been to neither. And if I were to go, I probably wouldn't go to watch a sporting event. I'd just go. <laughs> Well, on that topic, uh, what is a destination? Maybe you could choose one of these two if you want, but what's a destination anywhere in the world that you've always wanted to go that you haven't been to yet? Which means I speak Norwegian, so I want to go to Oslo. I've never been to Oslo. I've never been to Norway. Uh, my family ancestral area is Klekkefjord, a fishing community, and I'd like to go to Oslo and Norway. Is this? Do we have to watch sports there or do we just go? No, it's just to go. I mean, not Italy, Australia. Although I would like to watch, you know, a legitimate European soccer match somewhere. Call me that, crazy. That would be a fun I, thing I, to do in Italy. If I was going to go for a sporting endeavor, I would go there. Yep. Terry, I don't know if you knew this, but uh, since my dad was in the Air Force, I lived in Norway for oh, two years. No, when I, was I did younger. not know that. Yeah, I lived in Stavanger, Norway, down in the. You look in the Norwegian. southern coast. That's Where what they you, always told me. I don't speak it. My, <laughs> I was too young to speak it. My mom <laughs> speaks pretty well. Um, but, yeah, they there would always be Norwegian people coming up to me when we lived there, and they would just start talking you, you to me. You do and look I, Norwegian. I did yeah. not understand. Yeah, and especially I would be now like, that we connect uh, the dots. American. <laughs> do you agree he looks Norwegian? Yeah, I mean, now that I've heard that, I can't unsee it for sure. I, I think his name is Ben. <laughs> yeah. Don't let the cat out of the bag. Okay. <laughs> Uh, just in case you missed it, Oklahoma City Thunder's number two overall pick, Chet Holmgren, scored 23 points, had seven rebounds and four assists and six blocks in his pro debut. Uh, that was in Summer League. He's the first player in Summer League history with at least five blocks and four three-pointers in a single game. What are your expectations for the 7-1 20-year-old from Gonzaga? I refuse to get excited over the meaningless Summer League. Uh, it, but it can be fun just to watch if you realize what it is. It's just a tantalizing, a tantalizing look at some some 
prospects who will almost only rarely become NBA mainstays. Uh, well, is is Chet Holmgren kind of like a little bit of a smoother, more uh, slick-talking version of Bull Bull? I mean, it, I think he's uh, a better basketball player, yeah, too. Yeah, I do, too. But I also... I, I mean, see, when he turns sideways, he disappears. Exactly. I mean, and that's a, that's the thing. And you, you look at Bull Bull. I mean, when you get to the real NBA, especially when you're talking playoff basketball, it's a physical, physical game. Bull Bull literally could not get up and down the floor. No. I mean, and because yeah, of his feet. He, he could shoot, and, you know, he kind of had some skill. And Holmgren, I would say, is even better than that, but he's he might even be skinnier. I don't know. They're right in there, same, same body type. I just don't see how a guy like that can hold a spot on the post. I mean, six blocks in Summer League, you think he's going to get that in in a real game with real physical athletes like could, you're going to see in the NBA week in, week out. Could you take him to the hoop? I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, I'm not built all that much differently. It, it, I don't know. It just, it just seems to me like one of the, one of the most underrated attributes of an NBA player these days is how strong they are. And I just I can't imagine the guy like him is gonna measure right up right away. Can he put on weight though? Oh, I bet he will. I mean, Kevin Durant was kind of that way when he first came into the league. More athletic, obviously, but he was he was a string being six ten. Uh yeah, six ten, six eleven, something like that. Plays like a guard. He was uh getting some of those blocks against Taco Fall. Right. Who's a pretty? Who's also very tall, but a a bigger guy too, yeah, more more heavier. physically dominant or uh, physically imposing. So he's kind of one of those like legends that could be, and you just really haven't ever materialized. But NBA is weird. You you just gotta see it to be, to to believe in a guy, you know. Well, that was Mountain High Appliance. Just in case you missed it, coming up after the break. This is called a tease, Doug. I know. <laughs> Jamal Murray worked out with the summer league personnel and kind of teased us. Is, is there it, any is there anything we can learn from watching that? Is there is there anything more of a tease than Jamal Murray updates? That's next on the afternoon drive. 